0: You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Talent in Accounting with Rob Brown.
1: This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast with Mirob Brown. This is where we interview and deep dive with special guests and address some aspects of the accounting profession that we can right some wrongs with, bust some myths and share really what's going on. I'm thrilled to have with me today, one of the most knowledgeable people in the accounting and fintech world, it's Gary Seamus. Welcome back, Gary. Good to have you on again. Thanks, Rob. Human capital. There's a lot going on in that space. Just define that term for us, because we're going to deep dive into this today and address a whole load of capacity issues. But in the Gary Shamus Dictionary of Life and Business, what is human capital? Well, it's it's
0: the tale of the people you need to run your business. And, uh,
1: you know, forever,
0: uh, the formula it was pretty easy. You know, you want to grow. You need more people. You want more clients. You need more people. So it was a really easy formula. And the way every firm approached it was real, really pretty easy. Uh, But that's all changed.
1: The world has changed. Obviously, we hear a lot about labor shortage, great resignation. Quiet quitting is the latest one, just doing the minimum to get by. So jobs obviously not getting done. What's going on with the labor market and the accounting world? Well,
0: um, you know, I only could reflect on the United States, and I know a lot of your your fans are in Europe. So hopefully uh, it resonates there as well, too. Um, But uh, in the United States, uh, if you look at the pipeline, and this is all pipeline stuff, because uh, this is something that there's nothing you can do with the sign of a pen or there's no event that's going to change what's happened. This is all evolved, so we evolved to get ourselves to the specific place. So if we want to get out of this a specific place, we're going to have to evolve out as well too. But the uh, but the pipeline is showing that uh, the amount of people taking the CPA exam versus five years ago is down fifty percent. Uh, it's sub, 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 substantial, and uh, you know why did that happen? Um, I mean, I, you know, quickly why it happened is number one is, yeah, the great resignation, you know, quiet quitting, uh, people looking to do better things. Um, so, you know, that, that's there, people reevaluating their lives, re- you know, right now based upon the pandemic and what's important to them. Um, a lot of it's, some of it's based upon uh, this new culture, this virtual culture. You know, firms are, are still, nobody has the answer on how this works, but they're trying to adapt this virtual culture, you know, so, uh, um, you know, if you, know, you have one of your employees who's working virtually and you say, no, they have to come in the office, well, within 20 seconds, they can get another job working virtually for somebody else. So, you know, be careful what you want sometimes. Um, you know, and, and then you have things like, which I think is the number one element, is, is starting compensation. I don't think the value proposition in public accounting is is what it should be in the United States. It's a five-year investment uh, to start at fifty five dollars or $60,000 a year. If you're smart enough, become a lawyer. And if you're really smart, become a lawyer and you could start at $200,000 a year. So I think the value proposition is terrible. Um, and that's a toughie because if you try and increase the bottom end of it, you have a ripple effect coming all the way to the top. So what that means is there's more money than are going to have to be going out to every level within your organization if you change the bottom end of it. But I really believe that's one of the problems is a value proposition isn't there. And then the last element is choices. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, technology, investment banking, private equity, fintech, um, you know, there, there there weren't as many robust and uh, interesting uh, uh, choices as there is today. So between all those, uh, we got ourselves into a deep hole. And the deep hole is there's just not enough people. And, uh, you know, and that's created other issues, too, in terms of this MA and private equity, because succession is happening where firms just can't find the people to succeed themselves. So they sell to a firm that has a better model in place or... Uh, um, you know, maybe they think private equity can solve their problems. Um, so, so it it it's really has uh, it's really you know gotten itself where it it's very very difficult uh, you know f- to figure out how to handle capacity going forward. And and then, and then this you know when I used to have my firm, I I used to always say we used to focus on three things that were just really important to us as an organization. One was our clients and client service related to that. The second was our people and keeping our people in place and having the best people possible. And the third element was growth. And, uh, and that really tied into the people side of it, because I wasn't going to get the best people unless I could give them a, uh, uh, a relationship where they felt that there was uh, they had the ability to grow themselves and elevate themselves. So we find ourselves having capacity issues, but we also find ourselves with this willingness and necessity to continue growing. So
1: it's very challenging. It's fascinating backdrop to this conversation, Gary. You've got a real handle on it there. Does the CPA professional here in the UK, Chartered Accountants, does that have an image problem? It's obviously less alluring to young, smart people. As you say, there are a lot more options now. So it, it, is the designation fit for purpose, the examination, the career path that comes from it? Does that have some problems? Well, I don't know if
0: it has problems, but it has a lot of competition. And I think that's really it. There's the competition there. You know, I think people are still in high regards. You know, they look at chartered accountants or CPAs. You know, I don't think we've ever gotten rid of some of the stigma. You know, we, we need a good movie about us. You know, <laughs> uh, or or, uh, or uh, Netflix or something that uh, makes it kind of fun or interesting. Uh, we did have that one uh, with uh, Ben Affleck, we'll called The Accountant, and yeah, he was really uh, yeah yeah. That was a while ago. Maybe we need to get some reruns going on that. Uh, but. Uh, um, I don't think that's really it. I think it's really more the competition and us not staying up with the competition in terms of where we're heading. But you know, but but you know how this all kind of plays out is that uh, you know for many many years when I ran my CPA firm and every partner, every managing partner went through the same exercise. The exercise was you would look at your firm and you would go to the key people in your firm. You know, if it's a big firm, you may have you know a half a dozen key people. If it's a small firm, it might be one or two people. But what you would do is you would analyze. You know, what you would expect to grow, you would analyze your current needs, and you try and project what your turnover would be. So uh, so if you turned over at 10% a year and you had 50 people, you could pretty much expect you're going to lose five people who are going to turn over. Now, once you analyze your specific needs, you might find out, well, I need to get a tax manager because of the five people turned over, wow, I didn't expect all five of them to be tax managers. So you may have to focus on tax, tax managers. Then you also looked at your growth trajectory and you say, hey, we're doing pretty well. We're establishing our, uh, you know, we're really establishing ourselves within our community. Our brand's really, you know, picking up, you know, we're growing at 12% a year. So if we have 50 people, you know, we have to hire six. So you're saying, okay, we have to hire 11 people. Of 11 people, we need two of them have to be tax managers. So you would accumulate that information. And what you would do with that information is you would go talk to the person who runs your human capital, your HR lead, and you would give them uh, the directive, and the directive was, "We need 11 people. Help us." And that's what happened. That's how I ran my. Family. And uh, and you know, we were fortunate to uh, understand that formula. We kept the turnover very low, kept the growth pretty high, and you know, we were knowing what we were needing. And you know, in the end, when I had 575 people, you know, you start putting that equation in place, and you're finding out we needed to hire 60, 70 people a year, which is over one a week. And it was like, wow, that's kind of crazy to see how you know how they- and gone. So that was the equation. The problem is today, if you do that same thing today, you're just, you're going to get yourself in a, you're going down the wrong path in a big way because your HR person can't do that anymore. Uh, they're not going to be able to find those people. They don't exist. So, so now what's happened is instead of this being a delegation item to your HR people, now, instead of delegating, this is really going to rest with the managing partner or somebody in senior leadership and what I do is I, I call it conducting a four-piece orchestra or a four-piece band. And there's four elements right now that you really have to focus on in, order, in terms of capacity going forward. Um, the first element is let's just get back to hiring and retention. That's still going to be a major component of it. You know, Maybe it's not going to be 100% of it, but it's still going to be a significant piece of it. So what are you doing in terms of hiring and retention? Um, And that really kind of gets back to building a millennial practice model. Millennials are 55% of the workforce. If you don't have a millennial type practice, you're not going to attract those 55% of the people. So so what does that look like? The second element is process. Um, Look at your processes. Um, Accountants are really good at adding things on to, uh, to process, but I don't think we're very good at taking things away. Um, So, uh, so when was the last time you really scrubbed your process? And in the process, you would also put technology in there as well. And the big risk there as a managing partner is that what you're likely to do is you're going to say, I got to review my audit process. What you are likely to do is you're going to likely go to your audit lead and say, hey, uh, Rob, you know, go and please, you know, review my audit process. And basically what you're doing is you're asking the architect to go in there and critique their building. Right. And it's not the right person to do it. Yeah. No. it's not get objective. Somebody. No, you got to get somebody from the outside. And, you know, and if you're, you know, if you happen to have a, you know, a group of managing partners or other firms you meet with, you know, go trade with them. You know, Rob, you do me and Gary, I'll do you. And, uh, and we'll review each other's practices and let's be objective and, you know, figure out how we could reduce process, which means we eliminate the amount of people we need. Okay. Um, The third element of it is you need to have really good practice management. So practice management is the right clients, uh, you know, billing in the right amount of money, um, you know, and and putting in controls to be sure you're doing the right thing. And and this is sometimes very difficult because many times uh, compensation models are built on book of business. So on the one hand, you're encouraging people to keep business. And on the other hand, you're sitting here and you're telling people to, uh, to get rid of clients or not accept new clients. So how do you make that work? Um, I'm actually working on this model. When I get it, uh, I'll share it with you. But uh, I'm working on the model of what happens to profitability when you reduce your lower uh, amount of clients, get rid of them, create capacity going forward, then looking out two or three years, what does that do to bottom line profitability? Pretty easy uh, task, but I've never seen anyone do it before. So I started uh, one of my sleepless nights. I was playing that exercise, I suppose. And then the last element of it is outsourcing. Uh, you have got to accept outsourcing. Uh, 10 years ago, before I sold my practice, we were using Sherp Rep to help prepare 10,000 individual tax returns. Uh, I believed in it 10 years ago. It wasn't popular then. Now there's uh, the United States is being inundated by outsourcers. Um, in the beginning, it was only uh, uh, it was only the Far East. It was basically India. And now that's expanded to the Philippines. Um, India um, is still very prevalent. And now what you're also finding is South America. And now you're finding a huge influx in the United States of two or three South African companies that are focusing on the United States. The South African and the South American make uh, a lot of sense because it's just easier to do business. Um, if you are if you're getting these people to be part of your team you know the team's got to meet so everybody's in the same time zone in South America uh, if you're on the East Coast and you're looking at South Africa that's the same it's a five hour time difference same as you in uh, the East Coast so it's doable when you're in, uh, in in India it's very difficult because when you're awake they're sleeping so it's much more difficult uh, in India. but nonetheless this element of outsourcing, and uh, in the very beginning, firms looked at outsourcing only one way. And, and then what that was is they were buying into a process. So sure prep would say, OK, uh, you know, I have the capability of doing returns. And you say, OK, I want 400 returns done. And you would give the 400 returns. It would go to a process. And You may have a liaison person you'd be working with. What you're seeing is a, is a, is a different option. Uh, today, as you're seeing South Africa actually selling you people for the entire year who become part of your team. Um, and, you know, it could be significantly less dollars, you know, usually 30, 40% less dollars, but the money's not as important as the capacity today. But now your team is going to be, uh, in. it's going to be have uh, influenced and it's going to be having uh, members of your team are going to be coming from the South Af- South African firm. So they're for you the entire year, every day, and you'll deal with them the same way you deal with you and I right now on some kind of Zoom or you know, some kind of uh, a digital platform going forward. So, so now what's happened is this is something that you were able to delegate and manipulate um, and try and figure out what the right answer is and now this is something that it's very very challenging to do is to create capacity going forward and i've been encouraging all firms that i work with you know you just jump into it you know it's going to take you a couple years to do it you know go in you know hire one or two people from your south african firm and it costs a hundred thousand dollars and it doesn't work it's not going to kill you but if you have to go from two people to eleven people let's get ready to do it um, as you go forward so it's become incredibly, incredibly, you uh, know, just this pivot is going on right now as to how to deal with capacity in the United States.
1: It's such an incredible picture you're painting, Gary. And what role does technology and automation have in this? I hear some people say, well, look, I don't need as many people because... A lot of stuff that used to take ten CPAs I can now do with a bit of software and a few pushes of a button. So that's going to take away a lot of the need for capacity. But it will not do it all, will it?
0: Yeah, that, that's 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 three years ago uh, before the pandemic. Uh, that's really was the hottest topic was, uh, you know, what's happening with uh, automation, uh, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence, and we're seeing a tremendous amount of effort being made in those uh, in those areas in terms of what that was gonna to do to uh, your necessities for, uh, for people to get work done. Um, so um, that went from the front burner to boil to the back burner to simmer, and now it's on the front burner again, and it's just starting to boil. So uh, so now it's really coming back and people are focusing on it again. Um, I, I, I've a couple of times told this story. Uh, I was at a retreat for a really sophisticated firm in New Jersey. And uh, at the retreat, we were talking about uh, them making a, a competitive bid on a, uh, a hospital. And, uh, and the hospital uh, was a three-year bid, and it was a big job. And this firm that I was working with, they bid to do it a million dollars, a million thirty, and a million 60 for three years. So they did what we would have done. They built in 3% and, you know, we kind of knew, you know, if they wanted to hire us, they'd come back and they say, you know, oh, we well, you do it? take away the three and the 6% of a million. So we were always prepared to do that because that's usually what would happen. And uh, so, you know, that's, they went at it the way we went in. One of their competitors three years ago was EY. And EY bid on the engagement. They build a million one, a million one, $1 $400,000. And you look at that thing and you're saying, well, why were they doing it the way that they did it? I mean, you know, you add it up. Well, they were two, you know, they were 2.8, we were 3.1, you know, but that had really nothing to do with it. That's how accountant would look at it. What it had to do with it at that point in time, EY was making a bet and the bet they were making at that point in time. Is that uh, automation and robotics was going to allow them to do that audit at four hundred thousand um, dollars? So that's how they were bidding that. But the big element there that really came to mind was if now you're this uh, accounting firm in New Jersey, you know what happens if the market drops like that because of artificial intelligence and robotics, and you're not ready for it? So you're going to be doing that same audit based upon a million dollar cost basis, okay? But now you can only uh, sell that audit at four hundred thousand dollars because the the, the pricing has been driven down. So, really, what the, what the answer is you better be ready to make the shift, you know, it, when, when that comes forward. So, um, you know, at that point in time, I used to tell these firms I was dealing with is that, you know, you need to keep a real eye on what's going on with respect to automation, robotics, things like that. And most likely the managing partner is the last person to do that. You know, I'd say take one of your smart senior people, younger, millennial more technology oriented to you and tell them, you know, your job is to keep an eye on what's going on. I'm going to send you to the conferences, see what other firms are doing, talk to the vendors, uh, talk to other firms, and let's just keep a really close eye on what's happening. So when we have to make that move toward automation and robotics, we're going to be prepared to do so. So that's probably the advice uh, that's probably going to be, uh, uh, that's probably going to Go back to that old advice and say that's probably the current model today.
1: And Gary, we can nail the automation, we can nail the outsourcing, but we're still going to need to hire people, which makes employer brand a premium, because if there's a dwindling labor pool of talented people, then you're fighting with your practice against other practices to bring those people on. So. Any advice for accounting firm leaders, HR departments, managing partners, to be a more attractive proposition to young professionals out there? Yeah, that that's a really good uh, question, a really good thought pattern there. That
0: uh, you know, and that's why you know, you know, some of these firms that are looking at the talent side of it in terms of some of this mergers, yeah, some of it's succession driven, but some of it is brand driven to try and be contract them. But you know, I'll tell you something that we did a long time ago, and and you know, you talk about cycles in public accounting. Uh, you know, there's always uh there's two cycles in public accounting that really are meaningful one is a cycle when it's hard to get people and the other cycle is when it's hard to get clients uh those those are the two cycles um and the uh you know today it is not hard to get clients but it's really hard to get people and sometimes
1: you know it's you know the the, the total reversal some firms I'm talking to Gary, they're looking at five ten even twenty percent Churn, right? They need they have got twenty percent of vacancies, and in a two hundred person firm, that's a lot of shoes to fill. But but
0: you know to your point, you know when we built these marketing departments in these accounting firms, which started from nothing and now have become sophisticated. You know whether you're doing it yourself or you have one person orchestrating it and you're outsourcing it or you bring the right people in place, they become very sophisticated. My partner does a tremendous amount of work in digital presence, you know, on the marketing side of it, but. You built these to try and get clients, you know. Maybe the pivot's got to be is you got to use these marketing efforts to try and get people. So instead of focusing on bringing in the new client, focus on bringing in the new person. And uh, you know, I remember years ago we had, a, uh, we had a we had a we had a we had an outside advisory board, and we had an advisory board meeting, and uh, uh, and Alan Colton, who's very famous in the U.S. for doing a lot of these MA deals, top
1: guy, yeah.
0: Yeah, Alan was on our board, and uh, we were talking about you know this you know, how how valuable it was on talent. And uh, we had a, uh, a way that we compensated uh, partners and the way we compensated partners is we looked at a tremendous amount of uh, of objective information and made a subjective decision. We didn't have a formula. We looked at all kinds of objective information. And Alan asked us the question, and the question was, "Well, do you compensate your partners for bringing in talent?" And the answer was, "No, we don't." And you know, we're sitting there saying how important it is, and what we were looking at was standard metrics: book a business, new business realization, you know, civic activity, hours worked. And it's Alan. You know, you're right. So what we did is we changed our uh, criteria for uh, for partner bonuses, and we added into it that element of uh, bringing in talents is being very valuable. So it's those are the things I think you need to do. You need to make your partners; it's got to become part of their job. You know, have your marketing department shift and have them start focusing on uh, uh, on. Uh, uh and using their talents to try and attract people. So I think some of those things, and you know, and a, a big piece of that is the brand, which you talked about. You know, who are these people? What's their brand? What does it look like?
1: Well, Gary, super to talk to you today. I'm glad we touched on employer brand. We did a recording with you on the accounting firm, leadership priorities. What's some of the agendas of managing partners around the world? And you talked a lot about talent there. The COVID's just accelerated the problem, hasn't it? But it was coming up before that. Well, it's
0: really it created a whole new element, and uh, and I can't figure it out. Uh, we wrote a book on the virtual office that just came out. We did that a little while ago. Um, this virtual culture—it's—it's it's just really challenging because I don't think anybody knows what the answer is, but it's really important. Uh, you know, I'm working with the firm in Raleigh. Uh, it's one of the coolest firms I work with. In fact, Rob, you and I should talk about getting these guys on a. Uh, I think you would just be fascinated with them on one of your podcasts. But they, uh, uh, so. They were virtual before virtual was virtual. So, uh, so three years ago, they had forty people, hundred percent virtual. This is a thirty-one year old and thirty-two year old p- partner who started this firm, and uh, and you know, and at that point in time, it was like, wow, you know, he was able to attract people because he was just so different than everyone else. Now he's not any different than anybody else because everybody's virtual. But but the whole idea is how do you create a stickiness culture, you know, in this virtual environment? Um, and, you know, I think it's got to be blended with some in-person, in-person uh, time together. And I'm trying to encourage him to try and get his team to meet, you know, four times a year and get a hotel at the Atlanta airport and have everybody fly in and do continuing education and do team meetings and things like that. But I think it's got to be some kind of blend uh, and, and it's got to be intentional. Uh, and uh, and I think that's where firms really have to focus now and have to be heading.
1: The biggest mistake for me, Gary, firms make is that they're doing so many good things and making so much of a difference to the clients and to the lives of their own staff, but they don't relate those success stories enough. They don't tell them enough. They remain a well-kept secret. A lot of it goes under the radar. There might be the odd testimonial on the website from a client, maybe a case study, but the staff bios are pretty static. This is Julie. She works in tax. She does CrossFit on the weekends and she's got three dogs and it's all very blah, blah, blah. So there's not enough of this storytelling and coming to life and really weaving a narrative for the talent market out there to buy into. Yeah. Well, that all really, I think boils into your brand and, in in explaining your culture through your brand. Well, Garrett, this has been terrific. Thanks so much for your time today. Would you leave us with uh, a couple of tips for uh, accounting firms out there to uh, get an edge with the labor market and make the most of any human capital strategies they've got to compete and stay relevant?
0: Well, I I think the most important thing they have to do is they have to try outsourcing. They just got to try it uh, and expect it may not go so well the first year and uh, understand this could be a two or three year process. But uh, if if we're going to still be challenged and continue to be challenged on this labor pool, if it's not going to be there, then you have to you have to figure out how to uh, incorporate into your strategy using other elements and, uh, you know, process improvement. You know, you kind of understand what that is. You'll figure that out. You know, practice management. You already know that it's just whether you're employing it or not. You know the third element of that is hiring retention we know that but the one that's the, the trickiest and the one that's going to take the most time is outsourcing so i'd say you know dip your toe in and just you know just you got to try it so you know start bringing that in because it, you know at least in the state that's not going to get any better so if you want to keep going you got it you have to somehow figure out how to get these people from other countries helping you
1: gary that has been world class thanks so much for your time and your insights today. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.